Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and I'll be your host and this week we are finally all back together. We are joined by Joris once again. Joris, how are you doing? How was your trip? My trip was amazing. Uh, I'm sorry I could not join you guys too often. I've ta- talked to, I think I talked to you guys once uh, before the episode. But yeah, time-wise and internet connection-wise, unfortunately, it didn't work out too well. And unfortunately, I also could not uh, find the new Mikotadze in Georgia because this, <laughs> the season was, well, it, it was in mid-season. So yeah, I, I, I did not time that correctly. <laughs> Might have to send you back out there um, to go find the next one. I mean... I, I'd love that. I'd love that. It's <laughs> an amazing country. And we only scratch the surface and it's an amazing country. I can highly recommend to all our listeners as well. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we're not sponsored by the uh, Georgian Tourism Board just yet. But if they are listening and they do want to sponsor us, we're more than happy to take that on board. Scott, not such an exotic destination for you the last couple of weeks, but how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's great for us uh, all to be back together, to be reunited. Uh, and it's nice to hear that Joris' uh, general message is visit Georgia via Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely the way to go. And yeah, their football team is on the up as well at the moment. Some fantastic players, including George Mikatadze, who obviously we know quite a little bit about. But let's focus on the Belgian football in the domestic sense now. Yeah, interesting results this weekend. I'll quickly run through them. Oostend shocked everyone with a 3-0 win over Club Bruges to kick things off on Friday night. Courtreich lost 1-0 at home to Charleroi. Circle Bruges came from behind to beat Salang three goals to one. Leuven got back to winning ways. They put four past Salta Baragem, who could only score twice. Standard, massive three points for them against Festler in that hunt for the top four. They won that one two goals to nil. In the derby, Genk against St. Truden, that one finished two goals apiece. Antwerp absolutely stuffed Mechelen 5-0 in a... Um, well, we hope it's not a foreshadowing of the cup final, but this is the cup final fixture. And we hope that Mecklen will have learned a couple of lessons from this absolute humiliation and be a little bit more prepared next time around. Uh, Ghent against Anderlecht. Big win for Ghent. They won that one goal to nil. Union put the disappointment of the cup exit behind them and they beat Erpen two goals to one. Let's start on the coast then. Short trip for Club Bruges, uh, just over to East End, where they'd actually be flying out to go to Lisbon as well. So they probably should have just stayed there for the weekend. Maybe they did spend some time <laughs> by the sea. They had a lot to kind of decompress after their absolute humiliation, really. Great performance from East End. I mean, me and Scott talked about, we just didn't think that an East End side without Fraser Hornby in the starting lineup would ever have a chance. He wasn't there for this one. Durdov started up front instead, but Sakamoto and Ambrose were absolutely fantastic. Sakamoto had a couple of chances, Ambrose with a few as well. Buchanan had a glorious chance to open the scoring, but he messed it up uh, on the counter-attack. However, Brandon Mekele then just inexcusable handball, basically, in the box. He looked perplexed. I think he was more perplexed with himself as to like what he'd just done. Because one of those kind of like natural reaction things where... As the ball, he's like gone for the header, missed the header because of the way Ambrose has like flicked it over him. And his hands just come up and hit the ball, and he hits the ball again with his hand. Ambrose obviously like, that's a definite penalty. Referees are smiling and like you know what you've done. That's a penalty. Ambrose steps up to take it. Simon Minile saves it, but on the rebound, Ambrose puts it in one nil to East End at half time. Into the second half, club have had basically most of the possession, but Scotty Parker brings a couple of changes. Off goes Kamal Soa. He's replaced by Antonio Nusa. Onyadika also comes on. He comes on for Clinton Matter. 
to a slight change in formation as well for Club Rouge. But for Oostend, they got the second goal. 58 minutes in, comes in from a, a throw-in on the left-hand side. Mohamed Berte, who's came on for Ivan Durdov uh, just inside the second half, he lays it off to Cameron McGeehan. I'm sure we'll probably speak about this, but McGeehan's shot is it's a good shot, but I don't know what Mignolet's doing. He goes at it like with the weirdest hand. He kind of it's to his right hand side, and rather than using his right hand because that's like what normal keepers would do, he like reaches over with his left hand like he's swimming. <laughs> he kind of like does some front crawl thing over the ball. It's weird, and I think even the um the Dutch commentators I was listening to were like, it didn't seem unsavable. <laughs> like, it wasn't the best of shots we've ever seen. Club then pushed to try and get back into the game. Only three shots on target for them. Um, one of those obviously not counted was a Hans van Aken volley, uh, which did find the back of the net, but Bjornmaier had already been offside. Lots of people in the press were saying that kind of the big players for club were pretty much non-existent. The likes of van Aken, your Langs, your Euclid's, your Buchanan's, um, so and Mata obviously had been quite poor up to that point. Just really not great defending. It was kind of put to bed. Uh, Sakamoto again, picking it up in his own half, running into Onyadika and then just running through him. And if you haven't seen the size of those two players, look it up because there's no way Sakamoto should be running through Onyadika, but he does anyway. <laughs> Atanga's steaming through the middle. He plays it into him. He kind of shapes, it's a beautiful thing, he shapes with his left to curl it to Mignolet's right, but instead sticks it in the other corner. Very much like, if people can remember this, 2004, Wayne Rooney against Croatia, I believe it was, in the Euros, where he shapes to kick it, hit it, hit it one way, but then puts it into the other corner. It's just one of those iconic finishes I'll never forget. Finished 3-0 to Oostend. Absolutely massive three points for them. Just huge, huge, huge. Great atmosphere down there as well. Mascots getting involved in the celebrations. Is with kind of the results this weekend, it's really kind of given them another chance and a new lease of life, I guess it feels like, with that one. Um, Silla stormed off at the end of the game. He had to be kind of grabbed by Hendry, tried to calm him down. Parker then gave him like a little cuddle uh, to try and calm him down. But <laughs> it just, the pressure is on with Scott Parker now. And it's just strange because their performance again, again last weekend was great. And I thought they were really good. And you're like, okay, finally... They've, they've kind of looked like they're getting into their groove and then they just drop this game just completely out of nowhere when you consider what happened last week. And I don't know, guys, it was, I think, I don't want to dump too much on Club Bruges because I kind of want to praise what East End did because I think this was like just a really well thought out tactically and played game from them. Yeah, I don't think anybody saw this coming, uh, that's for sure. It was interesting to hear uh, Dominic Talhammer's uh, pre-match team chat. He did say at one point in the dressing room pre-match, you've got to believe, guys. If you don't believe, there's the door. Um, that was the essence of his, his message before the game. And, um, you know, they were they were much the better side. Um, I didn't feel, you know, on the whole, they played any better than they'd done in recent weeks, actually. Uh, club, you know, no intensity at all. That's the kind of story from, from their point of view. But from this end, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't downplay this at all. I mean, that's their biggest win since May 2021 under Alexander Blesson. It's only their sixth win of the season and their first win, I think, in 13, uh, which goes back to November of of last year as well. And they, they've they've always had a pretty poor record against clubs, so that that win in itself is, is a big deal, aside from those other stats, some of which are pretty remarkable. So a huge win for them, and it'll be really interesting to see what this does for them psychologically, because other results very much went their way. Um, this weekend as well, so they're they're right back in the mix, and that pre-match message 
um, you've got to believe um, has has really become rather prescient now um, because there's an absolutely massive game at the Careweg uh, coming up this next this weekend when uh, the Coos boys go and play Open, uh, who lost again this weekend, as we know, and that that's that's a huge huge game now. Huge games for both teams uh, ahead, definitely. And um, well, another thing to to mark from Ostender's side is the second clean sheet in three games. So yeah, at least that part. Whether that's down to them or their opponents, that's uh, well, it's 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 anyway an encouraging sign. Uh, and indeed, the first win since the World Cup break, after the World Cup for them. So uh, that should be a, a real big, also energy, but probably more confidence boost. Uh, energy is not a thing they are lacking. Um, just need to sometimes um, yeah, put it in the right uh, uh, place and uh, time. Yeah, and then Club Brugge, 12, uh, 12 out of... 12 grab 12 points out of the 30 possibles in 2023 so under parker with only two wins in that streak yeah that that's not really not great um, i'm sure we'll discuss a bit more about uh, parker in uh, some uh, or in about Kluge in the listener questions section as well but uh, another thing yeah indeed that, that second goal was probably was for, uh, i felt savable for uh, as uh, for me Ole. potentially important might be that uh, Parker will have to shuffle his defense uh, again anyway since Mechler uh, took a late uh, yellow card which made him suspended for the game against Standard next weekend. Um, so yeah, a forced shuffle um, in the defense again for uh, for them. Yeah, and he has been kind of mixing up... Well, he had been mixing up that defense. It seemed like he kind of settled on a hendry Mechler thing. Obviously, Hendry injured now, Mechler out. So Boyata, <laughs> maybe... Um, or maybe a doy. He hasn't used a doy for a while. Um, seems maybe he's fallen out of favour. I don't know. But apparently, you think everyone said he's probably going to stick him back in after Mata didn't play very well um, for the European game, which would have taken place by the time we listened to this anyway. So who knows? Maybe there'll be a Dennis Adoy hat trick and they stay in the Champions League. And um, <laughs> yeah, don't think it's going to happen. But good luck to them. Let's go to the other end of the table, the first game on Saturday which was Charleroi against Courtrike. Yeah, again with this one, kind of Courtrike obviously coming off the back of that draw with um, with Zoltavar Gem, kind of a, another chance to pick up some points at home, um, which they have been doing reasonably well of, of late, but they just couldn't even score in this one, which will be deeply, deeply frustrating for them. Uh, just finished one nil solitary goal from Yusuf Baji. Of all players, scrappy as always, but it, cle- it looked like it had been cleared off the line. But it was—it's kind of obvious that the ball was behind the line. Well, I think it was Vandenberg and I can't remember who else was in there. But yeah, at the end of the day, just kind of quite inefficient. Lots of inefficiency from courts like they had eighteen shots in total, just three of them on target. So you think on another day, slightly more efficient, and they could have got a point or even kind of got away with of all three points with Ustend winning it becomes a little bit more of a painful result because it means they're not quite able to continually bring the gap up um if you know what I mean they kind of they're still just on that four points above it and that's not quite what you want and then well yeah they won um a, f- a couple of games ago they've now gone three on the balance without a win so they just kind of with Stork it's been this weird kind of they had that great start then they kind of slumped a bit then they were coming back a bit and now they're starting to slump a little bit. It's just like you just you can't really rule them out as relegation candidates at the moment. 
uh, with results like that. But for Charleroi, on the other one, they've now raced right into contention for playoff two. Just at the end of this, two points behind Circle of Bruges, going like five games at least unbeaten now, three wins in that space of time as well. And it's not just Bio scoring the goals, obviously, like Badgie scoring, a couple of other guys are scoring as well. Definitely, Mazu has turned things around there um, from what they were at the beginning of the season. I think they should always have been kind of in that playoff two hunt. But part of me is like, I don't really want to see them in there. <laughs> just because, like, I just don't, they're not like one of my favourite teams to watch at the moment, unfortunately. But a good win for them against Cortelike keeps them in the hunt for that playoff two spot. They've also, they've got more wins than Circle of Beauty are just ahead of them at the moment. So that could be an important factor. But yeah, I didn't actually see much or any of this game. I've just seen some highlights. So do you guys agree that like, yeah, of course, like with the amount of chance they had probably should have got something out of this. You you might not have seen much, but you basically summed up almost everything that that there was to say that I was about to say. Like, I just want to add one. I want I want to add one more thing is indeed, and that might lead to our why you're not uh, so fond of watching Sharma at the moment. That's four clean sheets in a row now. Well, that's that's of course a good thing for them, but not necessarily for uh, well watchers of them. But in this game, yeah, the, yeah, the, that that streak could have ended for sure. Kortak probably should have scored one of their chances. But yeah, efficiency as we keep on uh, yeah, seeing. Uh, if it's, li- it's like I've never been away. But, <laughs> Some uh, things never change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change indeed. And uh, yeah, well, a good win for them. And indeed, they are now in the fight for playoff two. I feel Kortak probably will be fine either way. But yes, you can't completely rule them out for uh, relegation struggles yet. Yeah, they're not safe yet, are they, guys? It's interesting. I mean, for the past, I mean, this is the third week running. Actually, I think we've we've probably been in agreement that that Charlois uh, are continuing to improve um, under Mazu. Three wins in their last five as well now, which is which is not bad. And it's that that's brought them right into the the playoff two mix, um, which which will be a, a delight for for Mazu. I, I would imagine Cortrike, yeah, not quite safe yet. Only two wins now in their last eight. I think, and they've got a, a game against Oipen coming up um, on the 8th of April, which feels like an age away at the moment, but at the moment when you look at it, that that's um, a massive fixture for them, um, the way things are going at the moment, and Oipen have got, well, all of their fixtures feel like they're massive at the moment, but yeah, it seems like there's three sides now um, fighting out to to kind of you know avoid the drop you know Kortrijk, uh, Open and and Oostend who've got themselves right back into the mix because of what happened this weekend I, I think Zoltan Sarang I, I think it's too too big a stretch for them now I don't see where the points are are going to come from 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 either of those so um, Kortrijk, Open uh, and Oostend are the three to kind of keep a close eye on and there's certainly some big games over the next two weeks that will probably have a determining say on on which one of those sides is, is going to be bidding for Weltas. I just won't write Zoltavaragam out with the goals they've got <laughs> with Vossen and Gano. That's just the only... I mean, defensively, we'll talk about their game against Leuven because, as you would say, Scott, honking defending, and it really was honking defending at times. <laughs> but, yeah, you just know that with all the, everyone's playing open at some point in that bottom mm. thing, it seems. So, open literally have it in their own hands to stay up. If they can beat all those teams, they know they're going to be safe. 
you talked about Salang. Let's go to Salang now. They travelled to Circler. Not a side you really want to be playing at the moment when you're desperately looking for points. But they got off to a good start. Uh, big man Marius Muandil Maggi with a lovely turn and finish in the box within three minutes to give Salang the lead. And at that point, you're thinking, oh, hang on. Like, are they going to win as well? And they're going to kind of close the gap as well. And suddenly they're going to be back in it. But alas for them, it wasn't to be. They end the game with 0.17 XG. Um, just three shots, two of which were on target. So, yeah, that kind of sums up their kind of attacking output in this game. Obviously, Circler were with Varlison in goal with Miyeki out, but it was Hugo CK who got them back into the game. Just fantastic free kick. Really, wow. really nice free kick. Just within the kind of the, the D outside the edge of the box, um, just smashes it on Deitch's side, but with such great power and accuracy that just flies into the back of the net. Um, I want to break a... in quickly here already. It was one of those free kicks where you, f- well, at least I felt like, okay, if he hits it decent, it goes in. So I, I think the, the ball placement was not right. If I if I can see that as well. But <laughs> it was a good finish nonetheless. Of course. <laughs> I just felt it would go in just by looking at, at the position of players. And then <laughs> maybe I've just I got, well, yeah. This could be just a coincidence, of course, but <laughs> but it, like... it's interesting you say that, Jos, because I felt like from what I've seen of like when you watch the replay of the goal, they're kind of more focused on like where Sissoko is on the floor, aren't they? Like they're kind of looking like like the points just looking down yeah, at yeah, him. Yeah, he, he him third way. Yes, so I covered more grounds. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so like, each may have been they, rather than looking at where they should have been in terms of like the ball. They were like. The point, the point, yes, like kind of being like, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, so maybe that's why they were kind of not really in the right position. Or maybe they're just big fans of Hugo Sika and they were like, go on, mate, let's see you put this one in the back of the net. Literally a minute later, the game was completely turned on its head. Abu Francis gets an assist with just a nice ball over the top. No one tracking Ueda. I don't know why you wouldn't be tracking Ueda at the moment. He's an absolute fire. And he knew he wasn't going to miss this really nice finish from him. 2-1 at halftime and literally 10 minutes into the second half, the game's pretty much done and dusted. This time, Kevin Denke with the assist, Ueda with another goal. Finishes 3-1 to Circler, but they end the game with what, something stupid, like 19 shots on target, 19 shots, seven of which are on target, 2.42 XG as well. So, yeah, I just uh, we've spoken about it recently, haven't we, Scott? Kind of like routine wins. And if you take out kind of that early surprise from Salang, this could well have been da- gone down as a routine win for Circle. Yeah, Circle were totally dominant in the end, despite the, the early setback. And they're now in a playoff two spot. And really interesting over the last few days to hear Miron Muslic come out and say, yep, the target now is absolutely to finish in a playoff two spot, uh, secure that, and then push really hard to, to try and win it to try and win um, that European spot, uh, which is great to hear because they've been pretty consistent over the course of the season. And from my point of view, I, the, the one of the sides I enjoy watching um, quite a lot um, circle they, they play good football I think they have a great template with what they're what they're trying to do there actually um, and they're really starting to see a reward for for the the levels of consistency I think both individually certain players but but also the team that's them undefeated in eight now 
uh, 14 out of the last 24 points, which is pretty good. Um, and they've got a really big game coming up this weekend as well. There's there's loads of games that are really, really nicely poised now with a lot at stake. Um, they go to Brussels uh, to play Anderlecht, to just last week, Ben, me and you were talking about it being kind of between Circle and, and Anderlecht, probably for that playoff two spot. Felix Mazu uh, might disagree. Uh, he he would argue that Charleroi are right in the mix now, which they are. But that that Anderlecht game, particularly with the way their result went, is is now a huge game in its own right as far as the implications for that playoff two spot are going. Yeah, not much to add. Uh, well, one of my things was indeed that free kick. Yeah, give give your opinion of if that was something with the wall placement, or or, was, or did you also feel that it would go in or not, uh, or was it just me being? me <laughs> uh, and having some luck with that once uh, yeah indeed eight games in, in defeat it's um yeah and a big game coming up uh and for Serie yeah just yeah when they finally got a lead again they gave it away so easily um whether that free kick was something but anyway then one minute later they they already collapsed and it was still so easy to score for Ueda there and uh, yeah after that the game was uh, was done and dusted yeah no completely Agree with both of you guys. And yeah, it's a shout out to kind of that Oweda Denki partnership. 13 goals now for Oweda. He hasn't got any assists because um, Denki's the one providing him with all the assists. Seven assists <laughs> and eight goals for Kevin Denki. And I think, I remember, I think it was Dalhammer last season was talking about how Denki is kind of, he, he is the link man up front for them. He does link all the play and stuff. And Whoa. you can see that he's, Muslitz uses him in the same way, just linking the play and linking everything together when you've got another striker like a wader behind him uh, to finish off and obviously they're really good at throw-ins as well that always helps those two link up quite well in that those sort of situations so do love a good strike partnership that is for sure but let's move on to Leuven obviously a Leuven side who have just been horrendous since well basically for since the kind of turn of the year just one win up against a sort of side that yeah we're kind of Missing some key players last time out in the cup, coming off that cup semi-final defeat to Mecklenburg, got a couple of them back. Christian Brawls, uh, Romans was back as well, but it just this game started badly for them and just kept going downhill. They were trying to play it out from the back. Bossa, um, he messes up the like just the kind of get it out because we're under pressure moment, and then as the ball comes back in, I think it's is it Insingu who has a shot that's pretty weak. And he just spills it straight to Schlievers, um, who then just kind of fasts around a little bit before sticking it in. And it's kind of like, he just makes two mistakes within the space of like a minute. And it's just so depressing to see if you're a Zulta Farragam fan, because you're like, one mistake, and if he was then beaten by a ridiculous shot, you're like, okay. But once he's made the first mistake to make the second one, it's just absolute killer. But then it's all about Paul Thorsteinson. He has quickly become Leuven's <laughs> best player. Um, I think it's safe to say. And, both of his goals in this one were just fantastic. The first one, he just absolutely sits the Zoltavar again, defender down with a with a fake in the box. It's just, it's so good. Like, I, I've, I've watched it like five or six times because it's just the audacity, that the, the confidence you can see kind of coursing through his veins as he does it. Just like kind of sits him down, calmly puts it in to make it to nil. He's then involved again. Lovely run from the side, uh, from the left-hand side. Squares it across to Kasper Denor running on. He makes it 3 nil. Into the second half we go. Zolta do actually get one back just in the 73rd minute. Penalty awarded to them. Yellow Vossen steps up, makes no mistake from the spot. 
But then Leuven extend their lead. Torsteinsen again this time from the spot as well. Just gave Bossit absolutely no chance. Just leathered it into the top corner. Uh, Gano then did get another one back from Zoltavar again. Just honking defending, <laughs> you can say again, from Fernando from Rika. Just plays it straight to Endor. Endor finds Gano. Gano finds the back of the net. And that is how this one finished. So one assist and two goals for Torsteinsen. I mean, it was kind of, it just felt like it was a game that was all about him, guys. And I feel like without Martins, without Gonzalez has mm. obviously been injured and wasn't really finding the net. But Torsteinsen's kind of, he stepped up to the plate, it feels like, these last couple of games and become a really, really key player for them. Yeah, well, somebody needed to, that's for sure. You know, I think it was last week, wasn't it? And on one of the listeners' questions, we were picking apart a little bit why Leuven are having, you know, such a, a, a wretched time. And it feels like it's been that way for a while now. That's their first win in nine since uh, beating Westerlo in, in early January, would you believe? So there'll be a lot of relief around uh, Dendreef um, now that they've managed to kind of break that duck. That's for sure. Zalta have uh, not won an eight now um, and only picked up seven out of a possible 24 points in that time. And that's really, really poor. I mean, three of those seven points were against the three sides in and about them, as we spoke about last week, Ben, which, you know, in itself, I think could yet still prove to be hugely significant. But over the course of those eight games, Zalta have conceded 18 goals which is just unbelievable, really. They've conceded 61 in total, which is more than anybody else. Um, and like Ustend, they, they've conceded pretty much twice as many as they've actually scored. So it's not it's not too difficult to work out what the nature of the problem is. So Tavarium goals, leaking goals and, and defensing, having defensive issues. It's, I, I've heard that story before as well. Uh, okay. uh, well, the, the XG for both sides is also a three for almost three for Leuven, um, two point nine something, and Zotwaren uh, two. Of course, there are penalties involved, so that skews that um, uh, stats a bit. But yeah, it shows indeed that uh, both defenses actually were not not on top of their game. But uh, for Leuven, a win, a highly needed win to get them somewhere. I don't know what they were, what their plans for the rest of the season so are going to be. <laughs> But uh, yeah, they are uh, picking up some points, and uh, they they will definitely wa- like that. Well, what what just one thing to point out, highlight is also like how is it possible that, that Timothy the Rack, yeah, did not get a red card for clearly yeah for a, a, a clear cut uh, decision of uh, last man um, making a mis- the, making an, uh, the making the foul. Mm. But yeah, that that, that that's might just be uh, a, a footnote at the end of the season. But um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous in comparison to other challenges that have been, well, similar challenges that have been punished and this was just quite clear-cut. But okay, apart from that, again, not that much more to add. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to the referee coming out and explaining why that wasn't a red card. More on that later. <laughs> Probably because you didn't want to have to keep like making notes of every time Leuven scored. And he's like, if they go down to 10 men, I'm going to have to fill my notebook up um, because they can't <laughs> defend with 11, let alone 10. Yeah, no, I've seen that one. It's just weird. Like, I don't, just don't know how he got away with it, mm. but he did. Um, let's move to the top of the league, uh, the top-ish of the league. Standard Liège against Vestalo. We were talking about this being a good game for two sides chasing the top four. Standard play well against good teams. That's been their kind of thing this year. 
And they did it again. The goals they scored in this one were lovely. And Noah Ohio is looking like a man full of confidence. Um, him, Donham, I think Alzate combined for the first one. Really nice kind of run from Alzate. Finds Ohio deep in the box. His pass around the corners of Donham is fantastic. Donham makes no mistake. Another player that Ronnie Dyler, like he's been, I think if I saw correctly, he told him he just, in a nice way, lose some weight, get fitter because you've got the quality to compete, to be at this level. Like, I know how good you are from the Valoenga days and that. Um, and it looks like he, he's getting the the, Don, the best out of Donham, the Donham that was kind of leading the way for the team from Oslo for many, many years. Um, into the second half and Standard made it 2-0. Again, Ohio involved. This time he squares it across to Balakwisha, who's racing onto it to make it 2-0 to Standard. Slightly sour note, I guess, for them to finish the game. Bizarre, bizarre moment at the end where Bodart just comes like racing out in the 93rd minute and hand, handles <laughs> the ball outside the box. And it's just like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? So obviously he gets himself sent off, which means, who is it that ended up going in goal? I can't remember. Was it Lifis who had to yeah. go in goal? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Kept clean sheet. Um, with the last couple of things, so <laughs> somehow I don't think they're gonna. St- I don't think Dial is gonna go with life is for the next one. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it will be uh, Henkenet, who we obviously know was kind of number one for a little bit under Luca Elsner last season, but a little, yeah, just slightly frustrating, I guess, for Standard. And then they've got Club Bruges next weekend. Um, they- they have appealed for that red card, though, but yeah. I do not see why. Yeah, how is it? It's an, again another clear cut, and the, also the the punishment is clear as well in this. Yeah, so I'm not sure what they're trying to achieve there. Makes no sense. But that's three unbeaten for Standard in a row. They beat Union, they've drawn with Anderlecht, and then they beat Investolo. They now play Club Bruges. They play well against good teams, as I just said. So that game, I mean. If you're a club fan, you're a little bit concerned. If you're a standard fan, you are looking forward to that one massively, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 another fixture this weekend that is just looking really, really tasty now because of the way things have gone over, over the last week. Really nicely set up. Uh, back to Noah Ohio for a second. Two assists in this game for him. Um, he's looked really good the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've been liking a lot of him this season, actually. I think tremendous potential, um, and he's he's starting to find a, just you know a little vein of form and become kind of quite important to what Standard are doing. You know, there's a sparky side to him and and a real a sort of dangerous incisiveness, if I can describe it as that, that I think really appeals to to Ronnie Dyla. Um, he's he's a big Dyla type player. Um, and if he can keep that form up, then you know he, he could be tremendously exciting um, next season for them as well. Uh, Bodart red card, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I have no idea what he's doing there at all. The game is won. The, the, yeah, just absolutely crazy moment. Standard basically continued to improve. Really, four wins in their last eight, with only two defeats in in amongst those eight. So that's what fourteen out of twenty four points. Pretty decent stuff. And now only a point off a playoff one place with that, that massive game that you mentioned, Ben, kind of coming up. Um, so Standard look like, certainly the way they're playing at the moment, that they're going to be able to push uh, Ghent and club really, really hard for that, that, that fourth position spot, which is exciting for us and everybody else. 
and yeah, definitely look at that first goal. Um, uh, that was what probably the goal of the weekend for me. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, that was a really nice uh, setup, uh, like Ben already described as well. But mm. uh, definitely go watch it. Uh, little point on Westerlo. Um, well, maybe it also is again a compliment to Stranar because Westerlo were. Well, not really in this game. It is the first time in 20 outings that they haven't scored um, in um, as well. So, well, they might have if Wodai didn't uh, deny uh, whoever was through there. Uh, not that it would have mattered, so it would not have made it a more competitive game. But um, they, yeah, just that stat might have disappeared <laughs> for a while still. But um, yeah, first time since September, I believe that is um, that they haven't scored. But yeah, really just one one side uh, turning up for this game, and um, yeah, Standard looking good for for now. Yeah, they definitely are. Let's go to Sunday and start with the derby. Um, obviously, St. Tudor, we spoke about them last week, how their chances of playoff two are starting to slip away a little bit. Whereas for Genk, yeah, it was obviously the derby. So a big one, obviously, without Tolo Lakadale, who's injured. So that meant more was required from Mbwana Samata. And he answered the call. Uh, 23 minutes in, lovely cross from Gerardo Artiega. Lovely finish from Mbwana Samata with his header. Kind of diving header into the bottom right-hand corner. Just a really, really nice finish. Centurion then got themselves back in the game just before half-time. Gianni Bruno with a free kick, which was headed in by Shinji Okazaki, of all people, um, rolling back the years there with that one. Uh, into the second half, just some weirdly bad defending from Centurion. Eventually, the ball falls to, uh, I think it was Pencil on the right-hand side. He dinks it back over, um, and Samata kind of, Heads it in eventually. Um, it kind of trickles in over the line, but the ball does get into play. They thought, I think Centurion were kind of complaining for a foul on Texera before that happened. But they did get back into the game. Gianni Bruno with a nice finish on the left-hand side, kind of dribbling into the box and then kind of surprising Van der Voort, I guess it felt like, with a shot inside of his near post. Vanken replied to that one by just making loads of subs. Collinsor on Castro eventually came on. Castro then got injured from a pretty bad tackle and had to go off. Uh, Vanken was pretty pissed about that, I guess you could say. He really wasn't happy after the game. Um, <laughs> Al Hajj came on, Preciado came on for Castro. So I think Castro was on the only field for like six minutes, um, mm. which is just not great for a player who's had to settle for injury minutes or time off the bench to kind of prove himself, um, which is a shame for him. Um, but it finished two goals apiece. Not kind of, I guess, not the worst result for either side, but for St. Trudin, probably a little bit more frustrating in the sense that they're, yeah, like we said, I just said, their chances of playoff two are kind of slipping away. And after last season, when they got so close and you felt like there was some momentum behind the club and that, this is kind of a dis. It could turn out to be quite a disappointing season, and it looks like next season with the transition, you just don't really know where the club's going to be going. Yeah, well, I think it looks like St. Truden's season is kind of petering out, doesn't it? That's how it kind of feels. Only one win in their last eight. 
Uh, the Bruno goal, by the way, was absolutely brilliant. Um, see, to finish like that at the near post, uh, I thought that was real quality. He's got a uh, 12 and 24 now with one assist um, for the Canaries and has been great. We've said this before. Um, really important that they try and hold on to him if they can. And it'll be interesting to see if that's something they try to do with other players leaving, obviously, with a lot of restructuring and things looking, you know, pretty radically different for the Canaries next season. We know that already. But yeah, I mean, this game, uh, I thought a draw was probably a fair result. I felt Genk were marginally the better side, uh, had the better chances. Samata, for me, should have had a hat-trick. He missed a, a really good chance um, that he, he caught really, really sweetly that went just, must have been just inches wide of the post. Um, if he'd got that on target, that probably would have been in because of how sweetly he'd caught it. He's he's coming into a tiny little bit of form though now. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear Yoris's thoughts on this because he's got three and two now um, and looks like he's starting to warm up just at the stage of the season where it becomes very important that, that somebody does really. Yes, definitely. And that second goal was also his uh, 100th goal contribution for Genk. Um, well, so 80 goals and 20 assists, I believe, uh, are the correct statistics there. Yeah, it's good that he uh, steps up and, uh, well, it's highly needed. Yeah, I also want to defend a bit uh, Van der Voort on that second goal, at least. Yeah, the ball, Bruno t- turns and shoots it through the legs of Cuesta. That, that part should not happen. And that, of course, makes it really difficult to still react from... Well, felt quite close out, but yeah. Um, well, <laughs> the, the, that that challenge on Castro that was not even given as a foul, and it's just you pull it, put it, you, you can't just do going into a duel with a yeah with your knee on front into the back of a player. Yes, you're gonna win the duel anyway, but like yeah, how that was not even a foul, let alone a card. Like I'm still, I I completely understand Frank's frustration. Also, I felt like Sintrada were. I know it's a derby, so you need to be playing. Uh, yeah, you, you can allow a little bit more, but I do think they went a bit over the edge, to be honest. Boyak could have gotten four yellow cards before he oh. got his first one, which was yep. in 20 minutes. So, well, the, to, to, uh, that's probably an overstatement, of course, but it's like, yeah, just they, it, it was a bit too much in, in my mind. And yeah, ah, they should have just won this game on King, though, in the end. I felt um, they. The, the problem is not, uh, in my mind, it's not the the, the attack, but uh, it's a third away game, at least uh, in a row, that they concede two goals. So uh, that also already you know, is a, a prelude to a question we'll get later on, uh, <laughs> answer later on, I think. But uh, yeah, there, there needs to be some iron outs at the back uh, again, securing it a bit better there. We all know that that's not necessarily Vanka's strength, though. But that's also the part of, how, of the playing style, but... Um, yeah, we'll see if he'll uh, find an answer to that and if things get better again. It's not that it's um, so dramatic. Yeah, and okay, the draw. Yeah, very frustrating, but um, yeah, that's the, that's football, I guess. Uh, the first point Sintra uh, they have gotten as well, apart from all the sets, uh, Scott already said in uh, in four games after three losses, so they will feel quite good about that, I guess. But yeah, for the, whether that has more. Um, whether the rest of the season has more in store for them is is a question still, and still no win from Vanken against Hollerbach. Uh, as a <laughs> so that, that is that's an interesting stat. Uh, and Sintrada is, I, if I'm not mistaken, so far the only team that hasn't been beaten once uh, by Hink. And well, that isn't going to happen this season. But are the first team that have uh, managed to do so. 
Yeah, it's interesting actually, Rankin's uh, frustration. I think he, he's entirely right to feel that way. There was a lot of, Yoris is right, I completely agree, a lot of really niggly fouls, some of which were, were beyond the realms of things that you would maybe allow because it's a, a derby. And I, I thought Pansel in particular was was getting some really rough treatment, not absolutely awful tackles, but there was a lot of little niggly fouls going in on, on, on Pansel and he was getting no protection from the referee at all. So I can completely understand understand where the frustration came from. One final thing about this game, it actually provided my moment of the weekend, uh, pre-match, Binky approached uh, Hollerbach in the the Canaries dugout, tapped him in the shoulder, Hollerbach turns around and there was this lovely embrace between the two. I love moments like that, those little comedy moments you normally only see if you're actually live at a game, but it was caught on camera at just the right moment and I I just adored it to be honest. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, nah, we all have Binky. Let's move on to a side who uh you're bemoaning lack of like clean sheets. This side kept a clean sheet but also smashed some goals in as well. No Toby Alderweireld for Antwerp. We'll also talk about him because he has just announced his retirement uh from international football. In his place again came Zeno van den Bosch, put in another good solid performance, did the nineteen year old. But in this one, it's kind of all about the Antwerp attack and the Mechelen defence, which was just bad, bad, bad play from them all round in this <laughs> one. Just the from the first goal, like just came under a lot of pressure from Antwerp, who could just kind of do whatever they want in this game. Akelen Camp took advantage to make it one nil within fifteen minutes. He then had his second in the thirty second minute. Um, nice little kind of tapping after some good play. Kirk got his. First of the game in the 42nd minute, although originally it was just given as offside, but it was overruled. Um, Kellen Camp with the assist for that one. He then got Kirk, then got his second of the game with an assist from Vincent Janssen. And then Kirk got an assist for the substitute Michel Ange Balakwisha to make it five goals to nil. As I said before, both sides, this is the kind of preview for the cup final, Antwerp. It took them penalties, basically, to get over against Union in the Cup. Uh, They did win the game 1-0, went to penalties. And kind of like we saw with Ghent, when a young player step up to take a penalty and do well, Kobe Corbain, Corbani, sorry, stepped up to score a penalty in this one. And then Gaston Avia, of all players, scored the winning penalty um, (laughs) after Teddy Toomer, of all players, missed his penalty. So it was a very strange turn of events in the penalty shootout uh, in Antwerp. But Antwerp through to the final against Mechelen. Yeah, I think, guys, we're just kind of praying that this is not a sign of things to come in that one. But I do want to say uh, kind of a little bit of kudos, like whether or not they would have kind of got rid of him or not when they were performing badly, but when to kind of keep at it with Mark van Bommel because obviously they started really well, then they had that kind of complete kind of collapse in the sense that they just looked really, really bad and really poor and they weren't playing very well. And everyone was talking about, oh, this is classic van Bommel, starts well, and then his sides just kind of falter and don't kind of, don't do it. But they've kind of, they stuck with him, maybe because financially it had cost them far too much to get rid of him. Um, But recently, since kind of the turn of the year, they have started to look so much better obviously that win against Union then these kind of this 5-0 win against Mechelen um, say what you like about Mechelen they still like Antwerp still put in a good performance while missing some key key players as well so they're still trending upwards uh, Mechelen 
probably going to be safe considering things. But I think as Defoe said after the game, he's like, I thought we were past this and at a different level than what we are at the moment. And there's so much more to work on than I probably imagined um, after the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Mecklen's wildly inconsistent season can, continues and this was really, really poor, I think. Um, maybe a case of one of those scenarios where, um, you know, they, they, they'd had a good week, I suppose. They'd got through to the cup final and perhaps took their foot off things a little bit um, kind of going into this game, which terrible mistake, really. Antwerp, you're right, um, completely dominant, really, really ruthless, I thought. Um, and I think they're generally looking pretty good at the moment. And here's a question for you guys. It's a slightly cruel one because I'm throwing it out there to you. But do you know when Antwerp's last biggest win as that was? Standard? Ooh. Yeah, when Frey scored all those goals? Uh, well, uh, it actually goes... It actually goes all the way back to January 1990 uh, when <laughs> they beat Lockeren 5-0 at the Bossel. There we go. Quiz type yeah, over. That's wild. <laughs> that's wild. <Yeah. laughs> Definitely. Also, they, they got their 15th clean sheet. So uh, Bute got his 15th clean sheets in 28 games. So, yes. Actually, this whole episode, I've been focusing a lot on, on defensive side of things. And so far, I think, indeed... Um, yeah, Antwerp defensively is, is standing strong. Um, okay, yeah, and and Mechela, what the, that first goal, how they gave that away, and and yeah, after that it was done already. It's not that I don't think it would have mattered. It would have come off anyway, either way. It's also Antwerp's uh, high pressure line that that did the job there. But mm. yeah, Mechela taking way too many risks there. Not once, but twice I think, or maybe three times even in the in that one phase. And the, the last one is then the fatal one. The, the other ones, uh, yeah, when it's 3-0 at a break, you know you're not going to get much out of a game anymore if you're up against a, a side like Antwerp in a form they're in at the moment. So um, they're playing really well. Also, five goals, but no goal from Jalsa. That's uh, and, and that also while he was actually playing really well. So that that's um, probably encouraging even more for Antwerp. And indeed, um, still missing a few players as well. Um, so uh, Van den Bosse has, has made a... Good entrance in uh, into the senior fo- football, senior level football, um, and at the highest uh, Belgian level so far. So uh, and stepping into place for Alderweireld, who knows that might uh, also be the case um, in the future at a at a at a national stage, uh, the national team stage. Who knows. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I was going to say it, but I was like, oh, no, that feels a bit silly. Then you said it, so it's fine. (laughs) You can put the pressure on him. (laughs) Um, Let's move to, uh, well, one side who'd love to be in Antwerp's position because they're in the top four and another side who'd love to be in Ghent's position because they're not even in the playoff two. Uh, Skemp against Anderlecht and, yeah, tight one, uh, I guess we could say, because when you actually look at it, average possession was 50% each which kind of says that these are two kind of evenly matched sides at the moment. But Ghent shade it just because they got the goal and goals win games, as we all know. Came from kind of a ball played from the back in the second half, long ball forward to gift Orban running onto it. He cuts inside and smashes it into the top corner. Just another really nice goal from him. Mm. And it feels like they've finally found someone. I'm not going to start saying he's on Tisa Dali's level, but someone else who can get some goals sort of out of nothing or make some goals for himself uh, in that side, which is kind of what they've needed um, because they're quite like 
functional, I guess we could kind of say about some of the players kind of behind the likes of Hong, Orban and Kuipers, like your wide players, Newly Earns, Samwas, they're not really going to, they're not massively creative players. Um, Coombs and Desart as well, they're not like massively, massively creative goal-scoring players. So you kind of needed someone else up there who was going to do something a little bit different. And he's got that little bit of extra pace as well that they've been lacking in the forward areas with the likes of De Poitra. Um But yeah, another kind of note from this game, Amadou Diawara gets booked on the 53rd minute. Amadou Diawara gets sent off in the 76th minute. Um, <laughs> Benito Rahman and Verbruggen had a little bit of an argument after the game as well. And it's I, it, I feel like it, a little bit maybe of frustration for Andalek because they've actually been playing pretty well of late, kind of outside of that kind of defeat and kind of the defeat to Ludogorets away. They've, they've been on a good run. But this game... <sighs> Not going to say it's completely ruined any chance of the playoff too, because they still are in the hunt. But this would have been a nice one to win. It's kind of as another confidence boost, another kind of road to coming back into things. Um, whereas Ghent, obviously winning with Club Bruges losing is massive. It closes that point down, that gap down to one point now. Um, and with Standard playing against Club Bruges next week, that it's kind of a really nice kind of fixture for Ghent in the sense that Standard obviously on their back. So they can maintain a one point if club win, they can maintain a one point gap if they beat Zoltavar again, which on paper they should, but it's Ghent, they're kind of you never know what they're going to do. Uh, but even if Standard win, as long as Ghent win, they can leapfrog Club Bruges as well. So, a, a, an important win for Ghent and hopefully a confidence boost going into their midweek game against Istanbul Basaki. I can add a bit towards uh, Anderlicht and their playoff two ambitions. There's this ridiculous stats, and well, they will have to change that urgently if they really want to still be in the hunt. Uh, they have played against the the, the, uh, the current top eight, 14 games they've already played, so two to go only, uh, one of which uh, famously against Circle uh, this, this weekend. And they have not won one game of these 14 against... Uh, so, yeah, then it's quite difficult to get into these spots. Uh, so they, yeah, they they may have been on a good run, but, yeah, I guess it's also against the teams you would normally back them to win. And they, they will definitely need to, to, yeah, to get some... To keep doing... Both keep doing that. And also, um, yeah, take something out of the these games against the, the better sides in the league. But it is was, it was their first loss in seven games. So, yeah. That, that, that also puts it in perspective, but yeah, not getting into that playoff two. And actually, they really need to get European football, which will make it the, which will be even more difficult uh, to even top that uh, that playoff two. It's it's looking quite quite easily. It's looking uh, so so bad again for Anderlecht. Uh, the results didn't go their way, of course, uh, in the other games as well. Uh, on the other hand, Gent have not lost against Anderlecht in five years now, I believe, uh, if, uh, if I got that stat right. Uh, and uh, they, they hit the woodwork uh, twice this weekend, uh, which makes their total uh, uh, now 13, which is most of all teams. So that also puts their position in the classification uh, uh, yeah, a bit into perspective. Like with, a bit of, with a little bit of luck, a ball going 10 centimeters, uh, a few balls going 10 centimeters differently, it could have been completely different uh, in the positive sense for them. Of course, that's just um, in a vacuum. You can't... Uh, <laughs> I don't remember all of these balls. And like In this case, for example, it could not have uh, changed the, the result of the game either. But yeah, it, uh, it's just something um, 
yeah, that, that an, another weird stat that I found, a uh, weird or useless stat, but sometimes you, you, you just use them. <laughs> <laughs> just like all stats. Um, it's a pretty wild um, stat, the one about Anderlecht struggling against top eight sides, if you think about it, because, I mean, that's something they're obviously going to have to change if they're going to make any kind of medium progress, really, um, despite all of the positive stuff that, that, that has been happening for them on the pitch recently. One thing I will say about Ghent, which I think could be significant and is interesting, and that is that of the three sides that look like are going to be fighting out for that that final playoff one spot, they have, on paper, I think, by far the easiest run-in, and potentially there is quite a good number of points in there for them. So they'll be looking at the overall situation at the moment, and I think feeling quite well um, excited um, about the next few weeks uh, of the regular season because it's kind of it feels like it's a lot of it is still in their hands especially when you consider there is a very real possibility that we might see the return of Tarek Tisadali before the end of this month who is ahead of schedule is back in training and they might see a little bit of game time before the end of the season and that in itself I think will be a massive boost to everyone inside the Buffalo's camp. Yeah, although I just can't imagine what sort of level he's going to be able to kind of come back at. Do you know what I mean? He's been out for so long, it's going to be just quite unlikely that he's going to step straight in. But, I mean, just having him to come off the bench, maybe even for like the last 10, 15 minutes, could be a massive, massive boost for them. Maybe just kind of dribble his way into the box and get taken out. The international break might help with that. Mm. I'm sure they'll be chucking him into some sort of like friendly or something that they'll organise over that time just for his own sake, like a Tisudali testimonial friendly something, <laughs> just to give him some game time. Let's go to Brussels uh, for the final game of the weekend, which was Union Saint-Éloi against Urpen. Union obviously desperately disappointed with that um, cup exit and they've not been on a greatest run of form with that. That's three defeats on the bounce. Obviously, they lost to Standard 4-2, lost to Vestalo 4-2, then lost to Antwerp 1-0, and then the penalties. Boniface was rested for this one. Sykes also came in. So it was a Vitesse-Nielsen strike partnership, which we've not seen yet, I don't think. But it wasn't those two that got them off to the good start. It was Simon Odinga in the 14th minute. Another really, really Oof. good goal. Kind of... Absolutely does the defence before smashing it past Nuruddin, who got a surprise start, actually. Um, I haven't seen why Mirza wasn't playing. So if you guys have any details on that, let me know, because I thought Mirza's been quite good. Um, so Nuruddin came in, which is an interesting change. I don't think he could have done anything about the goal, to be fair to him. Um, not much he could have done about the second either from Vitesse after a free kick from Union found him. And that was his second goal of the league season since coming in on loan. Urban did have a chance to get back into it with Prevoyak coming on in the 62nd minute. He then stood up to take a penalty that Urban had won in the 85th. However, Maurice saved it to keep it at 2-0. That save proved vital when you think that Prevoyak then did get Urban a goal back, but that didn't come until the 95th minute. Actually a really well-worked goal as well like they kept the ball well they moved it around I mean how much pressure they're really under from Union is kind of debatable uh, but nice play from Peters gets it across Van Echten Van Echten gets it he plays it through to Prevyak runs on puts it in the back of net very nicely taken goal from Urban just unfortunate for them that it came in the 95th minute for Union just I think they just needed to get a win 
and this was one of those just get a win and we'll be happy with it. For Erpen, it would have been great to get at least a point or something to extend the gap more than three than it is now to East End. It's just, yeah, that game against East End next week is just massive, massive for them. And I mean, after that, they've got Ghent, Anderlecht before they then called Tricon sort of again. So again, two sides in a round before they finish off against Club Bruges. So they they kind of have to get something against East End if they're going to really give themselves a chance of staying up. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I absolutely love this league, um, how wildly things can change from, from week to week. Um, we, we've been saying it for, well, forever now that that lesson's come home to roost again. It feels like there is now a ton of pressure uh, on Open. Um, last week and the week before, I was saying that I felt they had enough fight about them, more so than some of the other sides, to kind of dig another four or five points out over the next few weeks to to probably get themselves out of uh, the hole they're in. Well, they've you know they're 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 in trouble, and I, and I'm quite worried about them now. Looking at the three sides um, that we've we've already spoke about, real pressure on them going into this game um, against Ustend this kind of coming weekend. So. It's going to be really interesting to see how they respond, especially with the way other results went this past weekend. Um, I was saying to both you guys before this game that I thought it was really important that they got at least a point out of this, which they didn't manage to do. Um, so the, the, the heat is definitely on. Union will be delighted to end um, that winless streak, which feels like the longest winless streak in the world uh, by their standards, considering the records they've been setting over the last couple of years. You know, that three-game three, three game winless run um, feels awful, and by most teams' standards, it would be considered, you know, something you might criticise them for, but it's quite remarkable that, you know, uh, such a short... Uh, run of less than ideal results uh, would be so 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 notable, but it is because they've been doing so well. So they'll be, they'll be glad to have kind of put an end to that. Finally, Simon Adingra's goal, an absolute belter. We know he's got an absolutely worldy in him. You know he scored quite a few like that. The way he turns when he receives the ball, he knows exactly what he's going to do with it instinctively. And you know, absolutely no chance for for Nuruddin, who, as Ben was saying, it was it was lovely to see back because. Um, didn't look like we were ever going to see him again. Yeah, and Edward still said after the game, I believe, or uh, th- maybe it was straight after the game or later on, I, I think uh, Moser was just not 100%, so uh, we'll see if, uh, if he will be in goal again next weekend for that all-important game um, against Ostend. Well, a must-not-lose game, uh, I guess, is uh, is at the least you can say. And yeah, indeed, given the schedule, probably better win that one as well. Most things have already been said again, but a few things noteworthy. Well, Tuma getting off, but um, Gerard's in the first half already, but Gerard's already came out and said it uh, was more of a precaution and they just really want to prepare him for um, the game uh, against Un- the other Union uh, Berlin uh, on Thursday. And uh, and the rest of the upcoming fixtures, of course, as well. Um, And it was their Union's first goal on a free kick this season. Uh, That second goal, by the way, that as well. And it only came because like the complete lack of defending. Well, it's it's a smart free kick actually, but uh, just uh, yeah, Peters losing his his uh, man Vertesse out of sight, and he could just run straight on goal. That's uh, awful defending. But um, interesting that that was actually their first goal on free kick. Uh, not their first on set pieces, of course, but yeah, specifically free kick. 
which is quite remarkable given their standards indeed as well. And given they have a few players that they really can kick a ball, as you could see at that first goal as well. And um, yeah, Uppe, they didn't start too badly, um, but they did, after that second goal, the game was just over as well. And like they only got a, their first shot on target after 65 minutes, I believe. Yeah, um, just just not uh, that's that's not going to win your games, um, especially not against a, a good side like Union. Um, yeah, and uh, well, again, the defending maybe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how that was a, a penalty uh, first that before I get to the defending how that was a penalty for uh, that could have brought them really back in the game. It what was it five or ten minutes to go that, that for an all or nothing attempt. But uh, I don't know how you could keep that a penalty, give that as a penalty. Uh, but Danil, uh, the referee, is really known as like someone who's really severe with altering, handing out cards and giving penalties. Uh, but he also didn't, didn't overturn after seeing the images of the VAR. Glad that uh, Maurice saved that one so that that was some kind of justice. But despite that, and this, uh, yeah, not uh, a clean sheet for them again. So... My main team is actually not only that, but just like uh, the, not Union, not having team sheet, but defensively Antwerp is really the sides that, that are looking the strongest and that could make the difference at the end of the season. Uh, but these things are maybe fickle, but uh, well, it's clear that Antwerp have a strong defense, but uh, some of the other top te teams uh, in the top um, yeah, have to reorganize uh, something there, or get, well, just get get a few results with clean sheets um, their way, I suppose. I think we've probably exhausted the pro league, and we've got some questions, so we'll get to those in a bit. But Scott, as per usual, let's jump to the challenger because we mentioned a possibility of something happening, and why a certain fan base shouldn't be too concerned about their defeat to another team of young players last week because they could go and beat a certain team this weekend. Um, I hope that <laughs> <made> sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, last week we were saying, you know, there was a massive game, the game at the free deal between Beveren and, and, and Molenbeek, which had huge implications. I mean, going into this game, um, the top two um, who've been kind of toe-to-toe -to -toe for most of the season... Beveren were going into this six points behind Molenbeek. And I think we all kind of felt that if Beveren lost this game, then it was probably over, you know, so early into the playoffs. Um, and it didn't start well for them. Uh, they went 1-0 down kind of quite early on. Vukatic having a bit of a nightmare, uh, losing possession and Yusuf Chaluk with a, an easy tap-in to put Molenbeek 1-0 up early at the free teal. And actually, Molenbeek were much the better side for the first 25 minutes um, of what I managed to see and, and were unlucky, in truth, not to be more than 1-up than um, at this stage. Beveren go in 1-0 down um, at half time and it's all it's all looking pretty grim and the pressure's all on them and come out and have an absolutely massive second half and long story short as we all know now they, they managed to turn the game around, win 2-1 and reduce the gap at the top to just three points so the title race has been reignited everybody which is exciting for, for certainly for all of us a really big weekend and really interesting game that um, I enjoyed what I saw of it. I managed to, to, to see most of it. 
um, and uh, I've heard very good things um, from from those who who did manage to see it as well. They managed to enjoy it. It lived up to all of its expectations. In terms of other results in the Challenger Pro League this weekend, Anderlecht under twenty threes lost in Brussels to Club Next, who who continue to have uh, an impressive playoff. Um, Leers lost 1-0 at home as well to, to, to Beershot, and Beershot managing to keep their uh, slim hopes of, of, of perhaps being able to challenge for the title and promotion still alive, just with a little glimmer. Um, playoff 2, the relegation playoff, uh, Verton lost again uh, at home to, to Denza and, and look increasingly doomed now, I think. Um, I, I think it's too big a, an ask for them now to kind of close that gap. Elsewhere, Lommel uh, beat Dender 1-0, and the final game in playoff two was a, a slightly controversial game in its own right. Yong Genk uh, drawing one each with SL16 in a game which saw four red cards, everybody, yes, four. And, you know, a fair bit of controversy surrounding that. And we, we may hear some more fallout from, from that particular game over, over the next week or so um, as well. So the big news really is that the title race is well and truly back on, guys. Yes. And also, uh, in addition to, uh, to, the, uh, to the title race, psychologically also very important because uh, it's the first time in two years that uh, that RWDM, that Molenbeek have lost a game after um, going uh, in front yep. so um, yeah it's a nice turnaround it's, it was almost to the day uh, two years ago yeah, the 3rd of March 2021 was the last time and I think the game took place on the 4th anyway in this weekend and uh, yeah, the Young Genk still uh, a 16 game. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's really hope it does not have to, yeah, that both teams are not going to need a few points uh, at the end of the season because, yeah, that that, that was just horrible refereeing uh, again. Nubi, uh, who had gotten a yellow card and should have gotten a second yellow card, uh, well, the referee gave the yellow card ultimately, but to the wrong player. And then uh, um, he might be suspended as well for the, the game against Klubrugge because now it has come out, even though he didn't get the actual second yellow card, that he might um, yeah, get suspended anyway, Well, which would be rightful, of course. Uh, notably, of course, also th- that's where two of the four red cards uh, came out of after the brawl, after not giving that yellow card uh, initially and then... Yeah, some some discussions going on um, to well, deserve red cards, obviously, but things could have been avoided. And yeah, Young Hink will have to miss uh, yeah, a few players uh, in the next uh, game. So uh, yeah, the ramifications are really big. And um, yeah, let's let's really hope it doesn't really go to the wire for either side. Um, I think because uh, for any side down there, because this, this especially this specific fixture seems to be haunted uh, by uh, legal <laughs> stings. <laughs> Definitely. And speaking of um, playoff two, it's interesting to see. Obviously, for there's some teams in the playoff two, like Lommel, Denza, who like they're not really in any danger. It's just kind of play out the season. But Mark Rojon came out and was like, "You're playing for your kind of your future at this club. Like if you don't commit 200, percent which is impossible, but they can." <laughs> um, Does Mark out. know that? <laughs> <laughs> It's annoying football cliches. And he, he didn't even do 110%. He went 200%. Um, <laughs> but he was like, look, he said something about, we don't want any kind of just people here for the money. Like we want to be, we're going for a promotion next year. So like, if you want to be part of that, the kind of his trial, the trial period for those players starts now, which 
in my mind that's the right way to go about it if you're those yeah. kind of those clubs because there's nothing to play for really but you need to it's you're kind of starting to plan for next season so why not start planning now with looking at the players you've got and being like well actually they couldn't be asked at this <laughs> stage I don't really want them around I want players that want to want to fight for things and do that so yeah I thought that was quite interesting and obviously they were a side that have been talking promotions and stuff like that but had just a horrendous first half of the season that just kind of destroyed any chances they had but now it looks like with Grosjean and they've kind of they're starting to kind of turn things around a little bit and think right next year we need to actually be a little bit more football serious before we move on to listener questions I guess it's just yeah a quick chat about Toby Alderweireld just kind of what your guys kind of thoughts are on that I mean it was one of those ones that everyone probably thought should have been coming but there was this little rumour that it wasn't actually going to happen, that he might be still playing with Tedesco. But he's come out and said, no, I'm I'm done from the international team. Incredible international career, didn't he? And I think he definitely will go down as one of the one of the legendary players of Belgian football. Yeah, amazing. I think uh, 127 caps. I think that makes him the third all-time highest capped Red Devil, uh, which is pretty extraordinary stuff. Yeah, pretty expected, as Ben was saying. I think some people had a little fear that perhaps he wasn't because he did say quite early on after Roberto Martinez left that he was kind of open to continuing. But obviously after consulting his family, um, and that was one of the main reasons he actually gave in, in a very nice departure video that the Belgian FA shared, uh, that you know it was really about spending more time with the family. And I think the, the, the timing is right for, for lots of reasons, but an extraordinary international career and one that he can be very, very proud of, I yeah, nothing much more to add, um, except like, well, this was one of the players I would probably still could have a, a claim at the, in a place in the team as well. So in that sense, a bit, uh, there are a few other, um, all well, just try saying it in maybe in a more disrespectful way than I want old timers that that's, uh, that's maybe don't really have their place anymore. Alderweireld, I think could still have been of use, um, yeah, just to guide the the youngsters as well in the in the defense while his level is yeah it's not as it used to be but it's still really at a decent standard and uh definitely in a competitive he still could be competitive for the spots and uh, i have the o- only doubts of course yeah that maybe there was a little push from the disco like and, and all the way else it's like okay yeah in that case i will uh retire on my own terms uh but yeah uh definitely uh yeah, thanks for all for the service for the country, so to say. Yeah, and I think you make a good point actually, Joyce, about him retiring on his own terms. I think there's like, and it's kind of like, I mean, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but it's there's like a dignified way to go out um, when you've had that so many cats be like, no, no, I've made this decision, even if behind the scenes maybe <laughs> there were other things at play. Before we go, let's quickly jump to some listener questions. I mean, the first one we had, I think we did it. I think we've already done it. Uh, Anton Gobin, obviously, if you know who Anton is, you'll understand this one. But he says, want to spend a little bit more time on the CPL. Um, I wonder why this week. Who would have, uh, who could imagine why that might be an answer? But yeah, massive, massive win for Bevan, as we've already said. And the title race is definitely back back on, uh, the promotion race always back on. And ironically, club next are the next opponent for Molenbeek. So if they can get their third win in a row and Beveren can beat Beerschot, I think it is, then they're back level and everything is still to play for. Next question is from Professor Teckers. Uh, Professor Teckers asks, 
Hugo CK has been playing so well since his return, uh, his return to Belgium, obviously. It feels like he's a level above Circle of Bruges, but not quite the level to be starting in the Bundesliga. What do you think will happen to him at the end of the season? Joris, I'm going to go to you first because you have not had a chance to answer or listen to the question for the last couple of months. We all know that he has that option or Cercle Brugge has that option to let him stay for another year. I probably still, you can get out of such options, of course, but I think that's looking likely and that would probably be the, the smart choice to just keep playing at a, at a good level and ma- mainly keep playing in a team that, re- uh, that really suits him, a style that suits him. If that doesn't happen, I don't think he will go uh, back to Freiburg after this season, but he might get snatched up maybe by a bigger team in the Belgian league still, or in in the Dutch league maybe as well. Um, but like, yeah, so, something like that. But I I kind of expect him to stay at Cercle uh, Brugge for the next season. And after that, well, yeah, this, the, the conversation can be reopened again, depending on what the evolution has been, I guess. Yeah, he's got um, one goal and two assists in his eight appearances for Circle so far, uh, which is a pretty good return, and he has been looking very good. I'd be very careful with the statements about looks a cut above, because although I think there is some truth in that, um, you know, he went to Freiburg arguably, arguably too early, and obviously it hasn't really worked out there. I would love to see him stay at Circle next season, just continue continue playing regularly um, at a really good level with a club that I think um, are, are on a good path at the moment as well. So hopefully he will take up that option of staying for, for another year um, at Circle because I think that would be the right thing for him to do. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember that he's only 20 years old. Yeah. like he is, He's still young and I think it'd be wrong to say that he could never make it at Freiburg. Like he's still under contract there until 2026. Another year with Circle and then going back, he'll you hope would be a better player at that point. Mm. And then maybe he can make that step up into the Bundesliga. That's kind of how I say I don't want to write him off just yet because he's just still so young and he's still got so much more to develop and stuff. And for Freiburg, it's a win because you send him away for two years. He plays in a team that suits his style of play. He gets more confident. He gets to develop as a young player. And then, yeah, mm. kind of comes back to Freiburg but also there's also that possibility that if he really does impress at Cercle Bruges um, Monaco might go in for him and try and take him <laughs> over there so he's already got that he's got that kind of option as an avenue as well um, so he's kind of he can impress he can impress teams in the Belgian league with his performance he can impress Monaco and he can impress his parent club Freiburg so plenty of options um, but yeah I think agree. would like him to stay but he could go back to the Bundesliga potentially if he's developed and become kind of grown and matured in his in his style of play Next question is from long-time listener Aidan Button. Aidan asks, bets on who makes the fourth champions playoff spot now we're virtually in the home straight. Feels almost impossible to call. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Aidan, uh, in terms of impossible to call. But Scott, you're going to have to answer this one and give us your kind of... <laughs> team you think is going to make it yeah well it's getting quite exciting isn't it i think look looking at the run-ins for the three sides at the moment that are all over this i i think Ghent are probably the favorites as i was alluding to earlier for a number of reasons but mainly because i think they've got potentially the easiest run-in and and the most hall of points there in in their favor if they can do the business of course uh, exactly um, so yeah especially also with the Sudali returning which Hopefully, will uh, for them will will give them some uh, con- more, bit more consistency and also like you see that they are still not playing super well or something, but they are there and maybe yeah 
if that continues, they won't make it, of course. But if that if they somehow manage to get a bit more consistent, they they might make it. If it's anyway a difficult call, of course. But if I would have to say something, I would say Hint as well. Yeah, my kind of thought on it is it really does depend on their um the injury crisis that they're going through. Mm. Because in terms of running, then yeah, but they've then got those two midweek games uh in Europe, which are just kind of injury catalysts i guess we could say like someone's bound to pick up some injuries and i think they're just so depleted at the moment that that could happen if they don't i think it'll be standard out of the two but the problem standard have is they only play two strong teams in the run in the rest <laughs> of the teams a week and they're just they're rubbish against those teams they only play club Rouge and genk um so they're only guaranteed six points uh, in the run-in whereas they've got Salta, Usten, Charleroi and Leuven uh, which they won't pick up any points against. So, yeah, I think I agree with you guys. It's it's Gents, which is weird because we're putting them over kind of Club Bruges at this point, who don't have the worst of run-ins. But I just we just don't know what's going on at the moment. Like, is Scott Parker still going to even be in charge for the running? But yeah, we will see. I think you're right there in terms of Aiden. It's just really hard to call. Uh, another one from our good friend. Final one from uh, our good friend Dokhan Mahaji. He's like. I think this one's definitely for Yoris. How much are Genk going to miss Onoachu in the playoffs? And will they be pipped to the post by another team? Uh, Union, he puts with a winky face. I have my thoughts, but would love to hear from you all. And then what next for Club Bruges? Players don't seem to get Scott Parker. Yoris, I'll obviously let you take the Genk one and then we'll tackle the club one. It's difficult to say, but like I think I alluded to that, uh, Christian, before. And I do think so far, actually, okay, I know... Kink have lost a bit more points uh, last few weeks, but to be honest, they really were on an exceptional run of points and an exceptional haul of points, which at the mm. moment still is the case. Uh, it's uh, unlikely that uh, a team has such um, an amount of points that Kink uh, have at this stage of the season, of course. So uh, long may that continue for me, of course, but uh, it's normal that there would be a little bit of dropping of points. And the thing is, they are still scoring. It's more like... If they will miss him, well, they obviously do miss him. Okay, uh, I'll give, I'll, I'll grant everyone that, of course. But it's not that his goals have been missing so much. Maybe his defensive work on on set pieces that that might be a part of his game. That's that others, yeah, have yeah, just because of their uh, physique, don't have the different physique, have a lesser um, impact on, which um, might 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 actually be a, one of the reasons for the the defense having a little more issues but it they might they might be pipped to the title but the, i do think that the, that that could have happened either way if Unoacho would have stayed um of course i don't want don't want to down, play it too much either but i just think it's it's not going to be up to that despite what i've I told you guys earlier on on the day it happens, that that was a bit more frustration of that move happening. Uh, still, I think, um, but I'm less concerned than I was a month ago, to be honest. Yeah, you were quite concerned at the day. I remember the day you were like, oh, all the things that happened at the worst possible time. <laughs> um, no, I definitely agree with you that on that one, Joris. Um, Scott, Club Bruges, Scott Parker, What? where do you think that's going at the moment? Well, I think he's definitely under pressure. Um, I mean, he, he has been anyway, but I think the, it, it's kind of blown open now, really. 
Um, I think the fan base are really, really unhappy. A lot of them have already decided. Uh, they have a massive game uh, this evening, which I, I don't think has, is going to have too big a bearing on on any decision regarding his his position because it's a bit of a hiding to nothing, very difficult away game against Benfica. Um, huge game at the weekend domestically um, against Standard. Um, massive pressure to win that. I think. I think if he doesn't win that, um, who knows that there's a real possibility he will not be here this time uh, next week. I think because there have been conversations with a number of other uh, other names and a lot of speculation going on at the moment. So I, I, I think it's 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 a huge game this weekend and and probably one of the last fixtures in all honesty that he really wanted, considering the pressures on him. Having said that, he did say this week that things haven't been good enough. So he does he does recognise that. Himself, but for me, particularly looking at the performance against Ustend, I don't think these players are generally responding to him at all. Actually, well, I mean, he's been saying things haven't been good enough since he joined. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's been the same after everything. Um, yeah, no, I think and Alfred Schrude is available, so they'll probably just go get him, uh, bring him back again. <laughs> but no, I think I think he wants a different challenge or something like that. I read somewhere, but. I, I, I don't know. I feel like they may stick with him even after the standard game because they may look at the run and be like, ah, well, he can still pick up points against Salang, Erpen, and those sides. But, I mean, they've got to have a lot of confidence that he will do that and the club will do that. And I think it probably is partly on the players. The players aren't performing at the moment either. Yeah. So it's kind of a bit 50-50. It's not just his fault, but he's obviously going to be the one to take the blame for it. So it is what it is. Um, who knows? Maybe this week will be next time. Next week we'll be talking about a different manager at Club Bruges. Um, but I think that is probably all we have time for. Uh, it's nice to be able to say Joris and Scott rather than just Scott at the end here. But as always, it's been a pleasure. It's been great to be back together again. Yeah, what what a delight to have the full BFP Trident back. It's been absolutely fantastic, and um, it'll be nice to resume Trident duties again from now on. Yes, it was a pleasure to be back. Uh, also, or already, I guess, to our listeners, I'm sorry if I actually spoke a bit too fast this time because I I noticed it myself. I'm a little bit too excited, maybe, to be back. And uh, I'll, <laughs> if if that is the case, I hope uh, I'll, I'll manage to get get that a bit better again next week. <laughs> Nothing yes. wrong with an adrenaline rush. Exciting week ahead of Forest, actually. Yes. Yeah. 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 We've got European football. We'll definitely talk about the first legs uh, next week as well between uh, Union and Union, Ghent and Anderlecht's fixtures as well. And then we'll obviously talk about the fallout potentially from Club Bruges Benfica. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a miracle tonight as of recording. And next week we'll be talking about how well that went. But uh, we're kind of crossing our fingers and toes for that one. But as always, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice if you haven't already. And yeah, we'll be taking listener questions again next week. Keep them coming. We absolutely love to to see them coming through and kind of we talk about them a little bit in our chat beforehand anyway. So we've kind of already warmed up in preparation for what we're going to say. But yeah, definitely keep those coming so you can get in touch with us on Twitter if you would like to. And as always, we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.